It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. As if by magic, we are back at Talk Radio Towers this morning after a delightful sojourn over in Westminster yesterday where we were the sole representatives of what used to be a tented village rendered empty by so many media organisations who are still afraid of the COVID regulations, apparently. The Queen's speech was delivered in the usual no-nonsense fashion by our magnificent monarch uh, just a few weeks after her husband of 73 years passed away. What an incredible example uh, of what you should be doing if you're part of the royal family she really really is today we will look at what the new government term is going to be all about with the help of a gaggle of great guests including first up jamie jenkins our favorite statistician who will give us his take on the latest covid numbers the scare stories about the indian variant and why the labor party seems to be getting stronger in wales while it crumbles in england at the same time so keir starmer left home this morning after the resignation of one of his top aides just as the bin men arrived to take out the rubbish <laughs> i don't think there's a metaphor there at all do you oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand coming up later on businesswoman and celebrity chef Tonya Buxton is here on her birthday to talk about mental health and the continuing fight to reopen the economy plus she's got some things to say about our nation's diet after the government banned junk food adverts before the 9pm watershed and online but is there any point in doing anything like that I mean just by banning some junk food adverts does that mean people are going to stop eating it I don't really think so. 03444991000. Alison Pearson, columnist for the Daily Telegraph, also joins us today after midday following her shared crusade with us to get the GP surgeries of this country opened up properly. Like us, she's been inundated with stories from ordinary people unable to get seen in person or who have suffered incredibly because they've been ignored for months by their own doctors. Please bring us your stories again uh, as we continue with this campaign because it's very important. We're going to try and get the GP surgeries of this country opened up. We're not still very sure exactly Exactly who is responsible for doing so, but we want to keep putting up that pressure. 03444991000. We've also got free speech advocate Ian Murray, former executive director of the Society of Editors, before he was cancelled on new laws brought in to force student unions and academic institutions to protect freedom of speech and stopping censorship of ideas. And I might have something to say about the Woke Brit Awards last night. I mean, for heaven's sake, turned into a love fest for the NHS. Dua Leaper banging on about why they should all be paid more money. Well, maybe if they opened up the GP surgeries, I'd give them a bit more money. But until then, uh, enough of this hero worshipping, please. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Plenty of coverage on the front pages this morning of all of the stuff from the Queen's speech yesterday. There's talk of more uh, protection of freedom of speech, which is good. Uh, more protection as well for children uh, online, because there's going to be a bill introduced later on today, which I'm sure you'll hear about more uh, as we go through the day here. But also, uh, let's talk a little bit about the situation with COVID. Um, we are heading towards May the 17th, next Monday, when everything is going to open up, supposedly, in one way, shape or form. But let's welcome back uh, to the show a man who hasn't been here for a while, Jamie Jenkins former head of health analysis at the Office for National Statistics because, of course, he was uh, running as a reform candidate uh, in the Welsh Assembly elections. And um, uh, so we weren't really able to talk to him properly. Jamie, welcome back. Very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Good to be back on the Home of Common Sense. Indeed. How was your journey through the old electoral process? How did that all go? Well, it was quite interesting, actually. I think um, from knocking doors and just talking to kind of people around the community, the the COVID restrictions actually the last 18 months have put a, a big dampener on the, the main election anyway, because parties weren't allowed to canvass. So it did affect the opposition parties. You can see in Scotland, England, Wales, the, the incumbent parties kind of strengthening their positions. And I was outside the polling booth at my uh, local one last week and obviously being a reform candidate, one of the people said, oh, what party are you standing for? And, and they said, oh, I've, I've never heard of the party. Really? And I think... Yeah, and I think part of the problem I think we had in the election was the the fact that the rename and the rebrand of the party from the Brexit party just didn't cut through with the electorate. And um, but you could see as well in, in Wales is stark differences, Mike, between Scotland and, and Wales, as in Plaid Cymru is kind of our national party looking for independence, but putting that right at the front of and the centre of their campaign, and their vote went backwards. So. It's clearly that Wales has no interest in independence, whereas Scotland, there's obviously this growing army of people saying we want a second referendum. Well, interesting you say that, because, I mean, on the, on the one hand, yes, there is there is a thirst for it up there, but it's not actually what it was. I mean, I would say, actually, now, there's fewer people asking for the referendum than there were a couple of years ago. And, and according to the polls, anyway, there's less interest in independence than there was two years ago. So, in some ways, that's kind of gone backwards as well. I mean, COVID obviously has changed things to a great extent everywhere, hasn't it? But what I'm interested in as well uh, is in the Labour Party's strength in Wales vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the, the weakness in England. Yeah, it, it, and it might be this incumbent effect. So, Mike, we've talked for the last uh, year about kind of Mark Drakeford. He's had a mouthpiece, basically, from through the BBC the last year where regular briefings, you know, I've been quite critical of some of the, the charts and the briefings that we put out. Now, they eased the restrictions um, on Monday following England in terms of hospitality. I've seen kind of the press statement which says, got the highest vaccination rate in, in the UK. Mm. We've got kind of one of the lowest COVID rates in the UK. No mention of the highest death rate in the UK, though, Mike. So there's, you know, there's a lot of propaganda that does come out. It's not quite clear in terms of everything that's put out here. But I think what we've seen in Wales is that, and I, I believe internal polling from the, the Labour Party was showing this before the election, is you know a lot of people are, have been kind of uh, positive about the cautions that have been in place. Now, you're going to get a lot of people who probably enjoyed having working from home mm. and having actually, you know, been sat on furlough. But there was a stark majority of people, as well, sort of minority of people, probably, Mike, that this is having a huge damaging effect mm. on these restrictions. And and if you look at the the data, Mike, for the last two months, because I've still been tracking it whilst I've been doing kind of my campaign. Yes. Now the the number of COVID deaths in Wales and in England now has been below average for nearly two months, mm. and and ultimately that's the key statistic. So we do see people say. There were another X number of deaths, sadly, in the last 24 hours that have been reported. Now, remember, COVID's not going to go away. We're still going to get that. So you're always going to get people who've tested positive for COVID who are dying. But the key statistic now, Mike, is the number of total deaths in mm. the country. That's been below average for two months. 
quite clear that the pandemic is over in terms of wave two. And the thing I'm kind of flummoxed by just by watching and seeing people on social media is you've got people across the country who run in the hospitality, you know, bars, restaurants, cafes, etc. Now they're rejoicing that the fact that the government are allowing them to reopen with huge restrictions on their business. And it kind of shows the kind of way we've gone in society mm. that even though they're not going to be able to open as a normal service, they're still rejoicing about it. It's kind of the, how we've been treated partly from the government over the last 12 months. Well, that's right. And a lot of people, you're quite right, are still a little bit more cautious perhaps than, than I would be in terms of the way that they approach going out, in terms of the way that they approach even people coming to your home, uh, you know, who might be coming in to do something, a plumber or whatever, you know, wearing masks, asking other people to get out of the room, uh, asking for all the windows to be opened and all of this kind of stuff, which which some of the uh, statistics don't really support anymore. And things that, that we used to talk about, for example, excess deaths. I mean, is there an equivalent in the opposite direction of excess deaths that we could talk about, and or uh, the R rate, uh, which I saw an interesting piece in The Spectator the other day, which said that there's a good um, case to be made for the fact that the R rate was completely and utterly fudged, um, completely and utterly wrongly um, sort of, you know, estimated by a lot of the SAGE uh, modellers, and that the R rate now, you never hear anything about, do you? No, I've never been a huge fan of the R rate, in particular, Mike, because it's difficult to calculate, but it's quite clear when you look at the last year, we've had a pandemic, we've seen excess deaths, yeah. but we've got this vaccine. And what we know with the stats on the vaccine is 99% of all the deaths are in what you would class as the vulnerable group. So mm. uh, 95% of those, Mike, have been vaccinated. So you talk about the excess deaths. Well, that's what I was just saying just now. We are seeing deaths below average for the time of year. Now, a little part of that, Mike, will be the fact that because we've seen a huge number of deaths over the last year, some people who sadly died over the last year may have been dying at the moment because people obviously who are elderly will die. So Mm. some of the deaths might have been brought forward. But the key statistic is that deaths are below average for the time of year. And it's not we talk about data, not dates. Well, They've had two two months more warning with regards to this. This has been constantly happening for two months. Now, Mark Drake, for example, in Wales, gave us six hours notice to go into a national lockdown on the 20th of December. Right. But he's had at least six weeks notice of the fact that the data is coming out. And then he issues a, a statement at 10 o'clock last night saying you can open your business next mm. Monday with six people indoors and six different families. So I think data not dates was a complete uh, fraud with regards to what the ministers were saying. And it's not just in Wales, it's across the country. Mm. And you look at Scotland, Mike, I've been looking at that. Nicola Sturgeon started easing restrictions yesterday. But she said there's a little part of Scotland where she's not going to ease the restrictions because there's been a rise in cases. Now, mm. if you've got 95% of the vulnerable vaccinated, where 99% of the deaths are, I think ministers need to start getting a reality check that we're not going to get rid of COVID. We've yeah. got to stop chasing looking for COVID. And ultimately, Mike, it's all going to come down to serious illness. Now, we've backed the vaccine. Why are we not following the kind of the data that we've seen with the vaccine and allowing people to reopen? We inevitably might will see cases go up when indoor hospitality kicks in. Well, do you know, you say that, but I'm not not sure that's true, Jamie, because, you know, we didn't see the spike when the schools reopened. And, of course, there'll be those that will say, oh, well, that was because they were wearing masks. Well, I'm not sure that's true either. They were testing loads of people and very few cases were coming up, very few infections and and hardly any kind of uh, injuries or hospitalisations or anything like that. So I wonder whether any of the reopenings, which which they've been doing now for the best part of uh, probably over a month, will have any effect on, on the rising rates because I'm not sure that at the moment anyway um, there's an awful lot of the virus around. Yeah, well, I plot a map and you've seen before my on my Twitter profile where looking across England and Wales and in Wales, the majority of the country haven't been reporting any cases for the last 10 days. I think what I'm saying is, Mike, that 
you saw the Brit Awards last night. Everybody had to have a test yeah. to go in. So I imagine some people who had just as well it wasn't an IQ might... test, or else none of them would have got through the door. <laughs> uh, well, that's, I, I was watching him, Mike, thinking I've never heard of half of these artists. So I obviously reached <laughs> well. That's when you know. That's when you know you're getting old, mate. Exactly. I, I've reached that point. But I think what we'll see is these lateral flow tests. That putting aside the reliability, they've been criticised. In Wales alone, over the last four weeks, we've done half a million of them. I think you know the cost of these testing children as well. You know, why are we putting all of this money to find cases when we know that serious illness isn't happening now because of the vaccine? Why are we putting money in terms of getting dental checkups for children who haven't been able to see a dentist for the last year? You know, the National Health Service did become the National COVID Service. Yeah. And I've been listening to your stories, Mike, about seeing GPs. We've got to get back to some kind of normality in terms of getting people... But this is it. I mean, we're going back to uh, to Alison Pearson uh, today on the show because she's also similarly been getting letters and, and emails from people saying we can't see our GP. It's outrageous to me that that's going on in this day and age. It doesn't seem to be anybody able to make them go back to work. And the fact that they're staying off work and or not seeing people due to COVID is a complete nonsense. As she points out in her column today, you know, if they're getting paid £12 a shot for giving people a jab, they're not uh, they're not scared of seeing them then. No, and it's, it's the cost of, you know, the vaccine rollout is obviously an important part of all of this. But going back to the stat, the key stat, Mike, if, if 95% of the vulnerable are vaccinated, mm. then what, all of this clamour to get more and more people to get vaccinated. Now, obviously, the vaccine's a choice for individual people, but we've got to stop chasing the tail but looking for more yeah. cases. And the more, more tests that we do, it's not just the fact that the tests do find cases. It costs a lot of money as well. You know, we've spent just... Take furlough alone, Mike. We spend over £60 billion yeah. on furlough. It's about £116 million a day over the last kind of month mm. when most of the economy could be open. You start chucking on top of that the cost of all of the testing, the testing that we continue doing. You know, the bill is going to be racking in way over £100 billion. Mm. And then the governments talk about, oh, yeah, we're giving you another X million pounds or we're going to give businesses. Well, businesses want to open, don't they? And, and it's, not, it's not money that grows on trees. One of the things, uh, Mike, when I was doing the campaign, uh, for reform, I, I did turn up on the leaders' debate um, for the on, the on the BBC. I was mm. debating with the Green Party, and some of the policies they were coming up with. You know, where's the money going to come from? And it's mm. the same with COVID. Money doesn't grow on trees, yes. is what I said there. But I mean, and unfortunately, to... I mean, you'd expect it from the Greens because the Greens are sort of a bit like uh, you know Labour. They want everyone to work in a public sector. They don't seem to understand that you can't really have a public sector without a private sector. But the Tories are not meant to be in that particular camp. They're supposed to be the uh, encouragers of enterprise, the people who like small business in this country, the people who encourage you to go and open a, a shop, to go and open a bar, you know, to go and open a restaurant. But, you know, that's all kind of gone out the window. But at some point or other, they're going to have to put the old uh, handbrake on and go, right, OK, back to normal, please. Yeah, you know, we've seen the excess deaths over the last year. But we know, that, for example, the flu virus in 2017 was quite deadly. Now, I'm not comparing how deadly the flu is to COVID year. But what I'm, the kind of point I want to make is that we've got a vaccine for the flu. Now, mm. we have these several vaccines for coronavirus. If we'd been testing the last 50 years for flu... We would have probably locked down every winter yeah. because we would have seen people who haven't got the vaccine or rising cases because that's what happens. And then, you know, you just wouldn't get the economy going if you keep shutting down. No, exactly. bang on the money. Well, well as we said during the during, I mean, we know that January was bad and we know that there was this terrible, um, you know, very transmissible variant that came in. Uh, I think it was the Kent variant on December the 18th. And it was bad in January. But even in January, when things were really awful in the NHS, it still wasn't overwhelmed. But every year we get told the same thing. We'll get told again in December. We mustn't uh, allow the NHS to be overwhelmed because every year it's a crisis, isn't it? 
Yeah, so we, we do see that I was tracking the number of people in hospital and, and, and in, in Wales and in England, you didn't see the peak around January time any higher than it was in September. Mm. Uh, and in part, that was because they were stopping admitting everybody else for other things. So they closed the NHS in a way to look after kind of the COVID patients. Mm. And and but, but with this vaccine, Mike, when, when governments were talking about data, not dates, remember back in December where we were kind of coming into these other restrictions, it was after that that these vaccines came on mm. board. But rather than speed up restrictions, they slowed them down. And, and just look now in the last uh, few days, we've started to see stories that the Indian variant now is 60% more transmissible yeah. than the Kent variant. But there's no evidence that the Indian variant wouldn't be covered by the vaccine. So mm. why are we scaremongering? There's a lot of mental health issues as well, Mike. So yeah. the ONF um, do, a, do a survey of adults and, and about one in 10 were reporting depression symptoms before the pandemic that's more than doubled now yeah. over the last uh, over the last year there's all these other costs of all of these lockdowns and, and i wrote the wrote in a blog myself mike saying that you know last march we didn't know what we were, we were kind of heading into and six months later we weren't sure what the impact of all that is now over a year in mike we've got all of this evidence of the rising waiting lists misdiagnosis mental health issues job losses we've got all these other factors so i think for me you know, the government, what they need to be doing is training these experts that are advising them on COVID on the other side of the coin, which is basically the other harm to public health and the harm to the economy and take a more rounded view yes. in terms of where we go going forward. Just these robotic approaches like Nicola Sturgeon yesterday, rising cases, we're not going to use lockdown. We're just going to decimate the UK if we carry on like this. Yeah, absolutely right. Because the time has come uh, for a new sort of broom, if you like. And I could see signs of it with Boris Johnson on Monday when he when he gave his press briefing, where he's clearly sort of struggling to try and make sure that people understand that it might now be a bit more about your own common sense and your own responsibility. And, you know, when he gets asked stupid questions by stupid members of the media who say, well, who can we hug and who are you going to hug? It's like, you know, get a life, man. You know, it's pretty obvious that you don't go around randomly hugging people that you have haven't ever met but you do go around and hug your mum or your dad or your daughter or your father you know or whoever but I mean you know why does it all have to be spelled out by people and you can see Boris's frustration he's trying to kind of say to people just like use your common sense no you bang on there Mike you know we've we remember now we're going to start easing restrictions but there are still significant restrictions even the indoor hospitality you know you're gonna have the social distancing yeah. going in limited number of people going in etc now it's not going to be easy for businesses to work with these some businesses can't even work within the current restrictions no. that are going to be on monday and we've got to get back no i mean if you've got a small sort of restaurant in the middle of a town um which has got i don't know 10 to 12 tables you're not making money unless you can fill them all no, Mike, and, and some tragic stories in, in Wales I've been reading over the, over the last weekend. So we had, obviously, you could open an outdoor hospitality. Uh, I've seen some stories of venues that had weddings booked. Mm. And then we had these big kind of storms going across Wales and England over the last uh, few days or the last few weekends. So I think they served the food indoors mm. and somebody turned up from the council and closed them down. And um, so, you know, they're trying to do the best for their business. But there doesn't seem to be any flexibility for business and the restrictions that are being enforced, Mike. And and, you know, the hidden cost of all of this isn't just the, the cost to society in terms of the numbers of people, the costs, et cetera. You know, we've seen over 800,000 people lose jobs, Mike. Now, over half of them are under 25. Yeah. 80% of them have been under 34. 
and this is a lost generation mm. and if we don't get things back to normal we're just going to keep losing you know and not not only that but just kids trying to get jobs i mean even one of my, my older teenager trying to get a saturday job you've got no chance you know because people who really do need a job because they have been yeah. uh, given uh, the the one they did have is gone um are having to do saturday jobs that otherwise teenage kids would be doing so it's a big knock-on effect let's finish up just with one final reference to wales keir starmer's problems persist today because uh, he's still got a big row going on inside the labor party his chief aide a woman called carolyn harris resigned yesterday now she is from your part of the world she's down from swansea west i think um thought to be quite a controversial figure a bit of a corbynista uh, what can you tell us yeah, so there's been a bit of controversy um, with this MP a few years ago, I believe, with regards to kind of homophobic comments, etc. Mm. And, and it's quite clear. I think she's been part of the kind of the Corbyn uh, group and obviously close to Kia. I think what it demonstrates to me, Mike, is that when you kind of have start struggling politically, you get a lot of infighting. So rather than show some kind of leadership from the front in terms of, right, what do we need to do? What are the areas that are going wrong? It just seems that the Labour Party in England in particular just kind of backstabbing each other, fighting. And if they're trying to become an electable party, it's quite clear that's not the approach to go, Mike, is it? Because, you know, people want to be backing a, a party that's very coherent. But it just seems to me that, you know, there's no opposition in England. And that's that's a big part of democracy, isn't it? If you yeah. can't hold the government down. Well, we've got this by-election coming up now as well in because of the... the, the exactly, the, yeah. Yeah, and I think there it's going to be quite interesting because... You know, that's a seat that has actually been Tory in the past over the last, say, 30 years. So it's not one like Hartlepool has just been constantly Labour. Mm. There was a very strong independent UKIP vote in that by-election, sorry, in the, in the general election last time. So if they kind of come off, it's quite conceivable that maybe the Tories could steal that seat, which would be severely damaging to, to Keir Starmer. So for me, it's going to be interesting to see what does he do with regards to a candidate? Because, you know, in the North, Keir, obviously, for the last five years, has tried his best to stop Brexit. Is he going to put another candidate in there who's more in his kind of camp of remote remain? He's just going to get shot down, isn't he, I think, the yeah. Labour Party? Oh, I think so. That. I don't think you'll be here for too much longer, to be honest. But, Jamie, listen, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins, former head of health analysis at the Office for National Statistics, also ran uh, for office in the Welsh elections, the Welsh Assembly elections. Didn't succeed. Uh, but, you know, it's always good to take part in the democratic process, as we always say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Freedom of speech, also a big subject for us here at Talk Radio, whether or not uh, you can be cancelled for saying something, for thinking something, uh, have your job taken away from you as a result of an opinion that you may have held, which in fact isn't particularly um, extremist in any way, shape or form. One such man is Ian Murray, former executive director of the Society of Editors. Ian Murray had the temerity uh, to respond to the interview with Oprah Winfrey that Harry and Meghan gave, uh, in which they more or less accused the British press of being racist, not least uh, by cobbling together a bunch of fake headlines, some of which didn't even come from British newspapers at all. Ian found himself uh, a victim of cancel culture, thanks to the people from The Guardian and Huffington Post. He's here with us now, Ian, uh, to talk to us about the new government bill, which will guarantee, hopefully, freedom of speech. Ian, very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, I'm pleased to see that you're still knocking around because I was a bit worried that, uh, you know, the, the cancels, the cancellers had come for you and you'd never be seen again. <laughs> 
Well, obviously, I'm not cancelled. If they were hoping to cancel me, Mike, they got that very wrong. I think you can only be cancelled if you allow yourself to be yes. cancelled. After the mob has come for you, it is very tempting to go away and lick your wounds and hide in a dark cave. Mm. But I'm not that kind of person. No, but also, how ridiculous, because of what you said, that you had to be removed from your position. Because what you said, quite frankly, was not only truthful, it was certainly not in any way controversial. Um, and then it turned out, anyway, that the, the basis for which they had made their allegation uh, was entirely... Um, fabricated well yes um it wasn't it was not good it was not good i mean i, I it was a, it was a no-brainer for me because when uh, harry and megan uh, from their uh, you know luxury self-imposed exile in california you know branded the whole of the media in the uk as bigoted and specifically they said uh, you know how harry said the tabloids mm. um feeding the british people uh, as if they can't make up their own minds uh, a corrupt diet of racism and bigotry it was no brainer for me to stand up and say that that's simply not true i'm not saying that there aren't some headlines that might be controversial that mm. some people might look at and say that has racist overtones or whatever and those who wrote it may say not at all but the wealth the body of evidence that says that the, the, the british media is intrinsically racist or bigoted no that didn't exist um yeah and the result was that uh, a large part of the media uh, that i'd stepped up to defend didn't agree with me fair enough they have a right to their opinion they weren't complicit in setting the mob on me, uh, but uh, it, they did come. They did come. And what's more, there was a real risk that the society itself would be damaged. It's You know, I was there 24 years ago helping to set up the society. It's mm. vital role in protecting press freedom, campaigning for that. Um, I've been a past president, been on the board for 10 years. I was running it for four years when I stepped away from the editor's chair. I could not see the society go down on my watch. And it became obvious that one of the very thin silver linings of the personal attacks on me, which, you know, were, were coming in droves, they were reaching into my home, they were threats on the phone to, mm. my, to me, my family, it was appalling. One of the very thin silver linings was I realised that this was getting so personal that if I walked away, and it was my decision to do it, mm. if I walk away, I will... I will help to save the society. It will be able to breathe again, and that's yes. what it's done. But I've kept quiet, and I'm back. Right. Well, I'm glad to see that you're back, because it's it's a noble thing that you did to walk away in that way. However, you know, less robust people perhaps would have been ruined by it and maybe in, put in a position where they could never really work again or do the thing that they love. And that's what I find so insidious about these movements where, uh, you know, they don't give really... They talk about being kind, but they don't actually give any quarter to anyone who disagrees with them about anything. No, no, it's, it's, it's ironic, isn't it, if you can use that word, if it wasn't so serious. Mm. It's ironic that those who profess to be caring so much and speaking up on behalf, usually of others, and saying what you said or what you're doing is so harmful to others, you're horrible, are actually some of the nastiest people around. Mm. Yeah, and they, they really seem are. to think that because you're saying something that they disagree with, they can actually be vile about it. Mm. And I think that goes to the heart of what the government are trying to fight back against now. How successful they're going to be with this, this no more woke culture or no more deplatforming in universities remains to be seen. Because, it, 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 you know, it puts a, it, you know, you can imagine yourself as one of these sort of like lily livered, weak vice chancellors mm. or, or, or administrators at the, at the university. On, four, and, on 400 grand a year. Exactly, exactly. And what's this going to do? Well, it's a case of, well, if we invite someone who's, you know, could be controversial, like yourself, mm. or, or Grimaine Greer, or, or Jordan Peterson, or even me to come things, you know what's going to happen. Mm. We know we're going to upset a, a body of our students, not all of them, some of them, the Students' Union. They're going to campaign. They're going to try and stop this, this guy from speaking or this gal from speaking. 
they'll put a ring of steel around the place. Even if they get in, they'll just shout them down while they're talking. Mm. So is it worth the stuff? Because then they'll be able to now go and sue us. Right. For, I'm not quite sure. Lost expenses or def defamation of character, I don't know. So you can see that they're just going to say, you know what? It's just not worth bringing them here. I yes. think what the government need to do, and the devil will be in the detail, is actually go further and actually say, look, universities, you get a lot of money off the government. We want you to put into your charter that you uphold free speech. Yes. We want to see real, genuine work on that. We want to see putting your prospectus to your know, future students. Come here and prepare to be challenged. And they've all got, you know, diversity officers. Mm. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. They've all got pastoral officers looking after the care of students. Nothing wrong with that. How about a free speech officer yes. in these universities? Yes, and they could, they could have a sort of sliding scale, couldn't they, whereby they get more funding depending on how free the speech actually is. And the more yeah. of, a, of an academic sort of, you know, p place of ideas that it is, which is what it's meant to be after all, uh, the more they are supported by, by the government. Because they don't seem to have any problem being supported by the Chinese government, do they? <laughs> oh, and they're big on free speech, aren't they? Oh, yeah. They're absolutely huge on, on free speech. I mean, this is the, the kind of like, you know, irony, stroke, hypocrisy, insanity of the whole thing. I mean, exactly. Look, when universities actually started in in medieval England and medieval Europe, they, were, they weren't actually, there were no exams for them, Mike, as you probably know, there were no exams. Mm. They were like finishing schools for the sons of the gentry, right. um, where they would go to be taught things like mathematics, like astronomy, and, 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 and the, uh, history and the arts and things like that, before they went off on their grand tour around Europe. Mm. Europe, that's what it was. And, that, and although there's a lot of emphasis today, quite rightfully, on vocation, go to university. If you're going to spend that much money, get yourself that much into debt, please make sure that it's, it's doing you some good in your mm. career. But also, it's about making you a rounded person, making sure that when you go out into the big world, you can, you can debate you can take on board mm. and you can, you're nuanced enough to actually say that when someone says something that you disagree with, you don't have to scream and shout at them. Right. You can actually listen, debate back, look at the facts, decide whether or not you now agree with right. them. And possibly win the argument because you're so exactly. good at it. I mean, that's where I come from. I mean, that's where my, my family sort of brought me to. Before I went anywhere near university, I was already arguing with people because I enjoyed doing it. And I mean, the fact yeah. is it's a skill that many people don't have anymore. And it's a skill that sadly is not taught at school. At uh, university, they seem to only now be prepared to be offended by everything. Exactly. I mean, Mike, when I was at school, which was which was way before you, because I'm far older than you are, of course. Uh, when I was <laughs> at school, I went, to a, I, went, <laughs> I went to a good, good, comprehensive school yeah. in the West Midlands. And I was part of the debating society. Mm. And I was taught how to. And sometimes I got scorched and I lost the debate because the person that was arguing against me had done their homework an awful lot better than I had. And at the times I won. And you, and you learned from that. I never once held a grudge against the person arguing against me, even though they could get quite passionate. Mm. And I, I think that's lost. If we, the difference between debating and discussing and immediately removing yourself to, into camps mm. and shouting at each other, because that just creates more and more division. And unfortunately, we only have to look across the pond to the United States, where they, they have a theory of absolute free speech, which yeah. I don't completely agree with with that to see what's happening and I'm, I'm glad that the government are doing what they're doing the devil is in the detail and let's hope that they can they can take this out further but they should take a requirement to teach about freedom of speech mm. back to schools so that the young people you're right it's actually before you get to university that you begin to get this inquiring mind this this questioning mind yes. about things and they should take that back and say there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with it 
I mean, do you worry that the media as well in this country has been sort of infected by this whole kind of wokery that's been going on? Because I look around and I don't see um, any any recognition of, of what Harry and Meghan ascribed to the, to the British media in terms of the newspapers in particular. But lots of them now have become kind of organs for this kind of stuff. And they don't really challenge an awful lot. I mean, I'm very disappointed continually by the questions that are asked by some of the press at the various press uh, briefings that Boris Johnson does and that Matt Hancock does. I mean, it's just, I don't know what's happened to journalism. <laughs> well, Amy, you're, you're quite right. You're quite right that, that there is this, and again, we can look over the pond and see the, the very dangerous polarisation of the media over there, the mm. bias that what goes on where they, they disappeared into camps and they make, they make no bones about it. We support this political group. We support that political mm. group. Everything anyone else says is liars. And there's a, there's a risk that we will follow down that, that route. And if anything, perhaps I was caught in, in, in that kind of crossfire um, uh, over those kind of things. There is a, there is a danger that, that we that and the media will not get the trust keep the trust of the public unless it actually is prepared to actually put both sides of the argument prepared to because if the if the media the mainstream media actually gives the impression of we're just one-sided we're completely one-sided uh, whichever side you want to want to be on then you can't blame the public for going and seeking other sources of information no exactly right and as far as your own situation Ian, what are you doing now then are you um, are you involved in some kind of foundation or what's going on well, yeah, I, I've always been, uh, you know, uh, uh, for the last few years, I've been over 40 odd years in journalism. So I, I, I consult, I'm a consultant on, on media matters. I'm continuing with that. I'm hoping to set up my own uh, group, basically, you know, or my own organization where I will speak what I believe is the truth regarding the media and, and that from, from all sides and both sides. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to be, to be silenced, I, you know, even before I took over the Society of Editors. I was prepared, had been for, since I was ever an editor, um, since that was in my 20s, to actually have to stand up and defend a free press, mm. free speech, the public's right to know. And I don't see why I should stop that now, as long as people will actually listen and perhaps, you know, they'll give me a platform. Well, you'll always, have one, you'll always have one here, Ian. Uh, this is, of course, <laughs> the home of common sense. It sounds like you should be part of it all. I, I would look forward to that immensely. <laughs> Excellent. Immensely. Good stuff. Great. Ian great Murray. Fact. Thank you very much indeed. Former Executive Director of the Society of Editors. A great man. A man who speaks an awful lot of common sense. And a man who they tried to silence, of course, because he did speak common sense, because he disagreed with Harry and Meghan, for heaven's sake. I see they've signed up to do a deal with Procter & Gamble now. I mean, whatever next. Are they going to start, you know, just advertising things on the back of their shirts? You know, Volkswagen, built by Harry and Meghan. I mean, really? What's wrong with these people? This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Guess what? The BMA, uh, which is the sort of professional organisation that represents GPs, they say uh, GPs deserve a pay rise. Really? Well, I think if they want a pay rise, the first thing they should do is start doing their jobs properly. That would be my suggestion. But before we do any more of that, I'll just remind you of the phone number, 0344-499-1000. Have a listen to this from the Brit Awards last night. There's a massive disparity between gratitude and respect for frontline workers because it's very good to clap for them, but we need to pay them. <laughs> that was, of course, Dua Lipa, uh, who won the award for Best British Female Solo Artist. Now, you would expect people that turn up at the Brit Awards to be a little bit vacuous. You would expect them not to really be particularly politically mature. 
But what I would say to Dua Lipa is if you're going to go on and on about the greatness of the NHS workers and why they all deserve uh, to be paid a lot more money while you uh, romp around the world on private jets having parties all over the place, maybe you should think about the advice that you gave to people, which was to stay home and not to go anywhere because of the pandemic. That was in January of this year, shortly before you took a trip to Mexico with your boyfriend, who's also said that he wouldn't take the vaccine, both of which things perhaps would not entirely please members of the NHS, people who work in the NHS, people who actually have to care for people in the NHS. Or how about the other time when you were told that you were going to stay in lockdown because it was for the best of the country and for the rest of us all, then went off to California to have another party with your boyfriend? Then, of course, there was the other time when you went to a family barbecue in May of last year while telling everyone not to see anyone, while telling everyone to stay home. Dua Lipa, unfortunately, came in last night after Plank of the Week had already been filmed, so we couldn't add her in. But I think we should keep her for next week's Plank of the Week because clearly Dua Lipa, for all of her... Um, lip service to the NHS for all of the things that she says that the uh, NHS are great at and because they deserve a pay rise I think perhaps she should be thinking more about whether she was doing the things that people in the NHS were asking her to do you know me here at uh, Talk Radio we have never been advocates of staying at home we have been advocates of looking after each other we have been advocates of doing things that the government asked us to do because that's one thing that you can do We've also been great advocates of freeing up the uh, economy, of freeing up the way that people can do business and the way that people can see each other, the way that people can hug each other. But the bottom line for me is we are not hypocrites here at Talk Radio. Some people are hypocrites. Some people will tell you to do one thing while they do something else. And I'm afraid Dua Lipa falls into that category. Dua Lipa, you are a disgrace. And if it was up to me, I'd take your Brit Awards back off you. I'm not interested in watching a musical programme with people telling me that we should be paying the NHS more money. If you want to pay the NHS more money, by all means, why don't you just grant a few million quid to your local NHS hospital? By all means, anybody who wants to pay more tax can do so. Dua Lipa is a multi-millionaire and now she wants the rest of us to pay more money to the NHS, which she, by her own actions, has put at risk. I really don't think we need to be told how to behave by a pop star who's overblown over here uh, and over in general. Thank you very much indeed. This has been a party political broadcast on behalf of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Oh, my goodness. Now, before we do anything else, we have to give you, from Izzy and from all of us here... Some rather beautiful so, flowers, are aren't they lovely? They are really and she stunning. chose them as well, Thank so she's well. a woman of uh, a of woman great, of great taste. taste. They are stunning, aren't they nice? They really are. I'm very touched. Now Thank I hope that you're much. not going to have to drag those around no, town no, now for the rest of the afternoon. I've got somewhere I can put them oh, before good. I get too boozed out. No good. Well, listen, great Thank to see you. Very much. Happy Thank birthday, you. officially, and welcome back to the home of common sense. So let us begin. Last week, we talked a bit about, you know, the damage that we don't really see that's being done to the people of this country, people yeah. who are having trouble with mental health. It's Mental Health Awareness Week. So let's let's just touch upon that to begin with, because you've said in the past that even your own kids, you're kind of keeping an eye on and all of that. You know, what are you seeing as we as we start to look like we're moving out of it? What I'm seeing is damage that's going to take a long, long time to get rid of. It's not when it, when it comes to mental health. It's mm. not like a a quick fix the damage has been going on for 14 months mm. and it's insidious and it's sunk into people and it's causing horrific issues actually a friend of mine's got a new book coming out okay. to, it's called state of fear on monday and it's by laura dodsworth and she sent me a list of oh, I know health. Laura, yeah. yeah she sent me a list of all the health damage that lockdown has done mm. and mental health is is one of the biggest ones you know we know about the cancer referrals we know about all the other health but mental health and the increase in suicides which we will never know about mm. for what about 14 months doesn't right. it take about that amount of time for the coroner's reports to come through and the problem with that is it's young people that have been affected i mean um, i was hearing a story of a young girl recently is every time she saw a ledge like this mm. she would put her hands underneath it because she was waiting to be sanitized wow and so this is the kind of fixing that's happening in people's brains and especially at the age of nine and under your subconscious locks into things Mm. and becomes fearful of things that then come out in later life it might not come out to your 40 or your 50 so mental health is a really big thing that we have to accommodate and and all this money you know it's a bugbear of mine but all this money being spent on advertising i saw it again today i was walking up on the tube station and um the mayor's side. So we've got the government who's spending 322 million till 2022 yeah. on this fear-mongering propaganda. And then there's the mayor. How much is the mayor spending on the right. same thing? Why are they not taking that money? Which enough is enough of the fear-mongering. It's done enough damage, yeah. too much damage. They are causing the damage of mental health. Yeah. So take that money, all that advertising that they did, and let's put it into mental health yes. help now for uh. kids, for families, for women that have been abused, for children that have been in their homes, not been locked up. The, the damage that's done is almost irreversible. But also all of the conflict that we see as well, I think is very much 
to be put at the door of, of, of these people. Because, yeah. for example, you know, we saw uh, the other day Selfridges, you know, a, a, you know, a big brawl breaks out. People get stabbed in Selfridges. I mean, it doesn't bear thinking about it. You're kind of going, how does that, how does that work exactly? Well, I saw, and, and I I mean, saw Brent all, Cross, I mean, but I mean, Selfridges. It was in Selfridges, yeah. Um, this was just last week. And obviously, you know, these are gangsters. They're bad guys, you know, but they're feeling like they can do what they want because they feel like we've been locked up. We'll yeah. do whatever we whatever we fancy doing. Somebody got stabbed in Selfridges. You just go, what the hell's going on? It's all bubbling over. Mm. It's all bubbling over. And my my biggest bugbear, as I said, is the, the money, the finance yeah. is going in the wrong place. Mm. It's going into the wrong issues so yeah. stop advertising it's billions and also millions stop and giving us all these sort mental... of subliminal messages yeah. i mean there's one i come up uh, on the london bridge um at escalator and there's a there's a big sign that just says be kind right and it just <sighs> makes me do you know what it makes me do it i actually swear at it every yeah. time i see it. i just go yeah. off just get lost get I, away from I, me. I, I know from, tell me to be kind i've had to develop a little bit of a rhino skin with mm. twitter especially after being yeah. on your show well, exactly, <laughs> yeah. welcome to my world uh, uh, but you know and, it, and i'm learning but what's funny is the ones that are the most kind of horrible mm. and personally horrible yes. to me like often about my physicality yeah. and my face and yeah. whatever are the ones that have got hashtag be kind on oh, their profiles so i find that just yeah. so funny well some guy had a go at me the other day uh, because I'd, I'd i'd picked Harry, prince harry up on something that he'd said or that he'd done and this guy said he's talking about mental health you moron and i went well do you know uh, talking about mental health and calling me a moron, it's not really a very good look. No. Because moron, if you don't know the origin of the word, is actually a word that is used to describe somebody who's mentally retarded. So you're actually advocating mental health, but then you're calling somebody a name which actually would suggest that you think they're just a nutter. Yeah. And you go, you know, there's not even any logic to it. No, but the other none. thing I found is yesterday it was interesting because we were down in Parliament and all the people that we would normally have spoken to, because we were there a lot, you know, like two years ago when yeah. Brexit was going on, we were there every day for weeks on end waiting for something to happen and yeah. it never did. Everyone, without exception, was just like, isn't it great to be back? Yes. Just to be sitting with somebody like we are, because we hadn't done it for so many months, and actually sitting with people outside in the sunshine, you know, talking about stuff was brilliant. We are social, So therapeutic. We are social human beings mm. and having that taken away from us and having that kind of, we said, the constant fear-mongering propaganda and being locked in on our own with our own thoughts and not socialising and not seeing other people mm. has done huge amounts of damage. And I'm seeing now when I go out and I'm trying to be out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, right. I am a social being. I work in hospitality. That's what I want to do. Um, I am seeing the joy in people's faces. But there's still that underlying twitch of fear mm. and we have to help eradicate that we have to stop that now you know we're very very lucky that we don't have covid in this country mm. anymore and so but we do have lots of other issues and we've got to stop the conversation being about covid right. and it's got to start being and we've about got, all and the I other think issues we've got to stop pretending that it's not there because i wonder whether that's what's going on here that the government just hasn't wanted to address it. I mean, like the GP story that we talk about, we're getting, talking to Alison Pearson later on today. Mm -hmm. She's written another big column today about so many people getting in touch with her to say, you know, we've had the same problem. We can't see a GP. And it's all being put down to COVID. And it's wrong, totally wrong. It, I mean, we know it's wrong. I've got friends at GPs mm. and they haven't ever stopped seeing anyone. There's mm. Dr. Rene, I think, who comes yeah. on, on this radio station and my personal Dr. Patel. Oh, for sure, there's, it's not he all He hasn't ever stopped right. seeing people. So... It, Part of it is a choice. Yes, it is. I mean, I understand that they're quite understaffed and there are other issues involved, mm. but it is a choice of the practice as no, well. No, I think that's absolutely right. Let's talk about the food situation because yeah. um, I'm not really sure what they mean by junk food. And I'm sure they know what they mean by junk food. But, but I mean, what's your understanding of this ban on advertising? Um, the ban on advertising, I don't know whether it's going to make a difference. To be honest with you, I don't care. Right. I just think that it, it sounds like a bit of 
rubbish to ease us off yeah, with because kinda, we've yeah. got a big issue with obesity in this country. Mm. Um, one of the things I saw on, on Twitter, and I must be true then, is that they're thinking of giving out uh, shopping vouchers to people that lose weight. Right. Uh, it's astounding. This obesity problem that we've got in this country, and specifically with diabetes, mm. is something that's been going on for 20 years. 20 years has yeah. been going on. So don't try and make it a new problem now. If we had, and this is the thing that brings it back to COVID, mm. if we had jumped on that and helped people 20 years ago, we would not have had as many deaths from COVID because mm. 80% of the people that were seriously ill or died of COVID were obese, obese and yeah. seriously overweight. Yeah. So, you know, if, if imagine if this if, if COVID came in the 50s mm. when everyone was skinny, right. we wouldn't have even noticed it. No. So it is, so obesity is also to blame for what happened and the outcomes of what happened in COVID and all the deaths that we had. Yeah. And the pressure on the NHS is unbelievable because mainly because of people that are too overweight but that's also i presume a lifestyle choice because we also never had more gyms than with every i remember when i used to live in new york i used to say why are all these people joining gyms and you know going on stairmasters most of them live 20 floors up if you walked up and down the stairs you, you wouldn't have to that. join a gym but it's not it's not just lifestyle choices it's also that we've been given really bad information um, i've just got a quote uh, mm. zoe harkum here who's a fantastic nutritionist and who Alight reminded me that the British Nutritional Foundation, um, which is where a lot of people get their advice from, is it's well, it's well, I'll tell you who the members are. Let me tell you a few of the members okay. if you don't mind uh, British Sugar, Coca Cola, uh, uh, Kellogg's, KP Snacks, MS, Mars, McCain, McDonald's. So, if, if this is the British Nutritional Foundation yeah. advising on how to eat well, Surely there's a lot of conflict I there. I think there would be. That's a bit like the tobacco uh, lobbyists, isn't it, who go, well, we yeah. set up an institution for tobacco research. Yeah. But guess what? We don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with smoking. And, you know, it's really hard. I have one of my children is plump. Mm. And it is. I feel the responsibility of that. And it's really hard. Mm. I'm not sitting here going, oh, I know how to do it. And I'm, I'm anything better mm. than anybody else. I'm in the same boat. And I'm the person that knows how to cook well. I yes. know how to cook nutritionally well. And I know how to cook cheaply well. I can, I can do it all. Mm. So it is a hard thing to do. And I do think people need support. I don't think you need a nannying state. Mm. But I think everybody does need a little bit of support. But people like the British Nutritional Foundation, they need to. we need to stop having this conflict yeah. of interest and actually get people in. We've been mistold how to eat for many years. Carbohydrates and sugar are bad, in and, and especially the refined ones. Mm. They are to blame for most of the obesity and fizzy drinks. Yes. They are to People blame. People say it's sugar more than salt, right? Absolutely. It's sugar and it's fizzy drinks and it's, um, you know, fake sugars like yeah. glucose, fructose right. syrup and things like that. They are the really bad guys and people aren't even made aware of that. Mm. So you see all these things low fat, but they're full of really bad sugars. Yeah. And people My favourite is the no added sugar one, which doesn't oh. mean it hasn't got any sugar, but that's no. what they want you to think, yeah. right? Well, yeah, we haven't added any extra sugar, yeah. but we added some more before we didn't add any more after that. Absolutely. And you get things like in, even in health food stores, they say no added sugar, but yeah. they've got rice syrup. Excuse me. Yes. I mean, it's the same rubbish. But is it also, you know about food more than many people. I mean, is it also about metabolism? Is it about how some people's bodies break it down well, differently? There is, a, to a certain extent, there is. And there are people that have certain issues. Like one of my daughters has an insulin issue. It's very, very hard for her to lose mm. weight. She has to work very hard for it. So there are certain health issues, but actually on the whole, it's just that we've been miseducated. Mm. I personally, I've, I said this, I'm glad my aunts are in Cyprus so they can't hear me. But I fight every single day against my genetics. Yeah. So my mum and all my aunts on both sides of the family are big ladies, yeah. big. I mean, right big girls and so that's my genetics mm. so every day I you know I have a good day I have a bad day you know not good or bad but a day where I allow myself to have some things and then I pull it back in I do a little bit more exercise 
it is self-responsibility. Yes. But I'm lucky enough to be educated and know how what right. to do. I don't think the general public have been given the right information. No. And that's where the biggest problem is. And I think also there are two things for me, two factors. I mean, my, I mean most of my family were all quite sort of skinny, war kids kind of thing you know mm. when my dad was born in 1923 you know he never he never weighed more than he should in his entire life but he walked everywhere yeah he never drove a car exactly. um he used to he's played a lot of golf he used to go mountain climbing he did all sorts of things he's a very fit guy you know but i haven't inherited any of his bodily characteristics <laughs> at all i'm a bit more like my mother but she's also still quite slim she's 97 now you know and so there's a good Amazing. sort of gene yeah. pool going on there um, and, but for, and, for, and I don't eat particularly unhealthily. I mean, if you'd be surprised looking at me, you go, really? But actually, I feel quite healthy. I, I know that I'm overweight, but a lot of that has to do with drinking more than yeah. it has to do with eating. And also being having a more sedatory life because yeah. we're not moving the way we should. No. And bringing it back to and school. And also walking. I mean, when I went to yeah. school, I used to walk to the tube a mile in the morning. Yep. It was about a mile at the other end. So I'd walk like four miles a day just going to school. And also at school, you might get the odd PE lesson. Yes. Or get some exercise. Yeah. That's that's just gone now. My, we used to be in the pathetic. playground kicking a rock around. I mean, that's what we did. Exactly. You, know, you were moving around. with a rock. But what COVID did is it's even even before lockdown, the measures that took part in school meant that kids were just so sedatory. Mm. And that has a huge effect. Kids, are, like you said, they should be walking a mile to school, a mile back again. Yeah. You know, doing, I mean, you know, the story that your my father always tells me, for me to go to school, I had to walk five miles, you know, all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe not quite as much as right. that, but move more. Yeah. You know, we're not having enough movement mm. and we're not being taught to move more. I mean, things like getting off the tube at stop early or getting off the bus at stop early yeah. and walking that little bit more right. they there are these little changes make huge differences and, it's no, really, sure. and everyone can do that yeah absolutely but also i think it's a lot easier now as well isn't it to eat if you like because yeah. you know you go to a supermarket and yeah. everything is there you know again when i was young um back in the sort of 60s and 70s it was like living during the war you know i talked to my kids about it and they're like what yeah i mean i remember the, the big sainsbury's was about now the size of what it would be considered a metro yeah uh, tesco's yeah. you know yeah, really yeah. small tiny shop didn't really have much food at all you know a lot of stuff in tins yeah um you know probably you know wasn't particularly how we used to eat a staple of our family was was soup my mother had a pressure cooker and she used to make vegetable soup you know which we had every night um, along with something good else mum. You know. that's exactly you know, what I do yeah. it's really and, good mum and then it's cheap I mean yeah. the number of people that say oh you know we can't afford to eat well well you can make vegetable soup for literally a pound Mike, a person or something You know, the best diet we know now we know through all the studies that the best diet is actually the Mediterranean diet well actually it's the Greek diet from the Christian yes. studies that they did and it was the peasant Cretan diet that makes was is the best diet so for like you. olive oil so it's olive oil but it's chickpeas it's fibre mm. it's a cheap diet they were cheap my my, my family when my dad was growing up was lucky to have meat once a week yeah. they couldn't afford it right. but they would you know subsidize and you have to get a little bit creative but mm. once you have these tools at your fingers and you've been taught a few things you can cook fantastically and mm. really tastefully and it's exactly as you said it takes a little bit of effort yeah. you're not just because like, oh, i'm starving now i'm going to pop to the supermarket and i'm going to get something processed mm. processed food is to blame yes I mean, if I could put it to two things, it's processed food and fizzy drinks. Yeah. If we completely got rid of those things, we wouldn't have an obesity problem. Yes, and so that would be better, in your view, than to worry about advertising. And Because people, if you, if you could walk into a supermarket and buy a two-litre bottle of Coke and yeah. get another one for half price, exactly. that's what you're going to do, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, would you go as far as to, as to ban those things from sale, though? You see, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really one for banning no. anything. I don't right. agree with banning anything. In my heart, I'd like to say, yes, ban them, get rid of yeah. them. But I, that's not for me. They are to blame. Mm. And often you can go into a supermarket and find that the fizzy drink is cheaper than water. Yeah. 
it's insane. Right. And, but what does that say to you? Yeah. I mean, what does that say to well, you? Well, I remember telling people um, about, you know, for me, there are two great inventions in life, bottled water and wheelie bins. Imagine <laughs> if you'd invented either of those things. Because I remember the first time I saw somebody walking with a bottle of water, it was in New York, about 1984, 85, and I saw this supermodel walking down, it was either Sydney Crawford or something like that, <laughs> with a bottle of Evian. <laughs> and I was like, bottle of Evian, that's interesting. And then suddenly people were buying water, yep. which you never used to buy. You used to turn the tap on and just drink it. Exactly. Same with wheelie bins. Everybody yep. in the world's now got a wheelie bin. Yeah. You know, so if you man, if you came up with that idea, you're going, I've sold a billion wheelie bins for a pound it's each. In, it's incredible. Incredible. It is. But but yeah, I mean, the whole the, and the whole thing as well about things like um, I'm not going to just say that it's Deliveroo's or Just Eats full, but I think so many people now easy. just just pick up the phone, you know, don't even have but to we ring were, anybody, and suddenly there's a couple of kebabs for you. But we were also even more forced into that. I mean, yeah. if I if I was, you know, Prime Minister for a day, what I would do, instead of giving people shopping vouchers who lost weight, mm. I would give incentives. And I do think that some of the nicer gyms are really expensive. So put some of that money that you put in the propaganda advertising. I'm going to go on about it till it's yeah, stopped. Yeah, no, you should. Because I can't stand it. I know. It. No, listen, um, I'm, quite, I'm quite with you on that. Um, put that into giving people subsidies of nice gyms. Mm. Because maybe they're more likely to go than if they go to a nice gym. They get a free PT lesson with a trainer there. Yeah. Put that money you know where your mouth is if you're talking about you want to reduce obesity which is costing something stupid hey guys just diabetes alone is costing the nhs 1.5 million per hour wow per hour mm. i mean how can you not address that and do mm. something about that right. so use the money into helping people yeah. have cookery lessons i you know put cookery lessons up for people that they can join either online or face-to-face -face yeah. where you can learn to cook something really simple from scratch. I did loads of those during lockdown. You know, what can we cook? And you're and, a great advocate of turmeric, aren't you? Oh, I love turmeric because it's fantastic. It's just so anti-inflammatory and especially yeah. as you get older, mm. helps with the aches and pains. Yes, so, it's yeah. amazing, isn't it? It really Because, is. I mean, I'll tell you a story about schools and, and cooking. My son, my youngest son, is a great cook, right? He's picked up various bits and pieces from, from his mother and from me. He loves a cookbook, he loves to make a curry. He got asked, they got asked in school to do a chicken curry, he's 14, right? So the chicken curry recipe he didn't fancy because he thought it was a bit rubbish mm -hmm. because it had apples in it and you know all sorts of other bits of fruit. So he made his own curry. Now we've got from the, the spice market over in Borough Market, we've got everything, Beautiful you know, anything that you market. can yeah. imagine, right? Spice Mountain. So he goes in, makes the curry. She says to him that it's not the right curry and it's called, and she called it a cheats curry. Why? I don't know. I really don't know. Fortunately for him, he said, well, I happen to know Cyrus Tony Waller quite well because my father takes me to his restaurant and we're yep. good friends with him. And he says that I make very good curries. So what do you think of that? Oh, that must have made and she it. was like, shut her mouth yeah. very quickly I'm afraid he takes after me he's going to be in a lot of trouble I think this point no, but, but I mean, but, I mean so what sort of teacher would say that that's exactly what I'm frustrated about instead of a teacher saying well done for taking your initiative well done and, yeah. and cooking from scratch and doing this mm. why would you call it a cheats curry I know. that's ridiculous and it wasn't anyway because that's you know exactly. her, guess what hers had in it curry powder well Exactly. You know, so he's not, putting garam masala in, he's putting turmeric, he's putting in, yep. you know, cashmere chilli powder, he's got all the stuff there, yep. and he does make a very good curry. And the idea that this is the kind of stuff that we're being put, we're being given at school is nonsense. I mean, to be, to be called a cheats curry like that, that, oh gosh, I'm sure you went in like a time Well, I don't need to. No, because just... he, no, because listen, he is so robust mentally okay. that, that's, that he that's just that's talks harsh. back to them. He yeah, hasn't been that's... wearing a mask in school either.
Good boy. So, well, you know. now, now they're gone. They're gone now. And I said to him, I said, you see, we were right all along. Yeah, we were. And I think that will lead to, I think, um, a, a, a sort of a less wearing of the masks in general as people get more and more kind of used to not doing it. As I said to you last time, I, I'm so confused. I wish someone would just clearly tell me why there is a mask mandate. Mm. I've looked at the science. I've kind of trolled through it and tried to work out why everybody's wearing masks when it makes no difference to the virus. And the virus isn't here at the right. moment. It's insane. Mm. All this constant testing, that's the other thing I want. All the money that goes into sending out all these tests yeah. to everyone to constantly test when we know the PCR tests are faulty. Right. Well, they're Stop not even designed. They're not designed for people without they're symptoms. They're I designed know. for people with symptoms. But we bought all these tests to give to people with nothing. I, I was saying earlier, if you go downstairs from here, London Bridge Station, there's a testing centre, which was set up because they, heard, they thought there was a couple of variants in Lambeth, right? Um, there's nobody in there. Literally no one. But do you, do you know how many variants we've had so far of COVID in this About country? About five, isn't it? No, it's 300,000. Oh, really? 300,000 <laughs> like variants of this virus. Right. It's, it's, an, it's a fear-mongering insanity. And so they it's only mention the ones they want to mention, right? They only mention one. I think it's just to keep people frightened. And I'm still confused as to why are we trying to keep people frightened? There's mm. so much that confuses me, Mike. Yeah. So I come here to chat to you, and I think I ask more questions than I give yeah. you any answers to. But that's why I we have understand. to keep doing it, because there will be, this conversation will go on for a long time. Yeah. You know, similarly, you know, come May the 17th, next Monday, restaurants will be open properly, but will they? I'm not sure, because some places are open um, because they can be already to the effect, I mean, there's a couple of places that I go to which are open air, but they're so well covered that you might as well be inside. Exactly. And I mean, that doesn't bother me at all. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to like report them or anything like that. But the point is, is that, you know, for, if you've got a small restaurant and you're told you can only have every second table occupied, I'm going for lunch today to quite a small restaurant. And he won't be able to make money unless he can fill the place up. No, it's not cost effective. It's no. just not cost effective. It's got to stop. We have to open up properly and all the tables have to be there. I mean, you see people... I said this before, in the supermarkets or in the clothes shops, mm. bumping into each other. Yeah. So I don't understand why you can't sit inside on a table. Yeah. Well, I'm standing on a tube train this morning. I mean, I'm not going that far on it. I'm only going a couple of stops. So I'm only on it for about five minutes. But there are people who are on that train, presumably, for maybe half an hour. Yeah. So I how was, is that any different? This morning. Yeah. yeah. So how is that any different from, you know, sitting in a restaurant? Yeah. It's, it's not, is it? But, th but these are the questions that why don't we get them answered? And why isn't the people that have access to Downing Street, the journalists that are standing there asking questions to Boris, why are they not asking these questions? Why are they asking don't about get me redecorating yeah, or, something or, or, or well, other? Worse than that, know. last Monday, one of them said, um, who are we supposed to be hugging? It's oh, like, well, if you don't know who you're supposed nice. to be hugging, maybe you need to think about another occupation. Well, to be honest with you, if you need to be told who to hug in today's yeah. society and, and, and where we've come from in this world, then there's something very, very wrong yeah, with you. And, and, and for me, that is, you know, I will I will die on that, on that. You know, you won't tell me who to hug. You won't tell me who to see. You know, as I've told you before, with family members of mine, you know, lockdown has done a lot of damage. We mm. are collateral damage from lockdown. My, my mother-in-law is stage four cancer and um, I will not let go of the fact that lockdown did that. Yeah. COVID did not do that. No. Lockdown right. did that. My mother now has... Um, and that's a very good distinction to make as very well, Very good. The way. And also, the my mother's in Cyprus. She has... Um, we've been told that she's got uh, dementia now. And the worst of it is, is that the doctors are saying the reason that it's it's just accelerating crazily, it's going... It's just accelerating in a rate that sh she shouldn't accelerate on is because she's not seeing her family. She's mm. not seeing us. We normally go out two yeah. or three years, two, two or three times a year and go and 
can see her and she interacts with her sisters and her family, but they've been so frightened in Cyprus mm. that they really do. I mean, they've had her Texas to walk out the house. Right. And so she's petrified. And this is affecting her because when you're scared, you, you end worse, up mentally yeah. having mm. worse effects. So all of this is going on. And yet these are lockdown mm. damages. They right. have nothing to do with COVID. Yeah. They are because of lockdown. So uh, the people to blame are the people that insisted on lockdowns, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The sage lot. And Boris for listening to them. But listen, we're at the end, incredibly. So another conversation. Um, we'll have another one next week. Have Love a great to. birthday. Thank you so much. Enjoy it. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Oh, well, that, that means everything. <laughs> There's nothing I can't do then. I love that. Tonya Buxton, uh, she'll be back next week. Uh, look out for uh, all the stuff that she does on Twitter as well, because it's fabulous. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, it's time to say a very good afternoon to Alison Pearson, a woman that I've admired from afar for very long, but I don't think she's ever actually been on the show. Alison, very good afternoon to you. Thrilled to be in the People's Republic, Mike. <laughs> it's really far too long since uh, we should have had you on months ago, years ago probably, but finally we've managed to do it. I was meant to be joining you for that great Brexit-supporting uh, celebratory uh, dinner, and it was the one day that I was sick last year um and i couldn't i just i just knew that it wouldn't be good it wouldn't be a good idea for me to show up so i apologize for that um but thank goodness you have seen that this is such a great story because you know i despair sometimes about the media landscape that we live in now where journalists seem to have forgotten how to be journalists and they sort of chase around after the same rat trying to catch it and failing miserably this is a massive story this gp's thing isn't it it's absolutely huge. I mean, you know, as a journalist, Mike, you you know, you you write something and then you light the blue touch paper and you stand well back. Mm. So I've had several thousand uh, emails from Telegraph readers, also the Planet Normal podcast, which I do with Liam Halligan. And we've had, uh, you know, just scores of, of responses from listeners and readers. And they're all saying, I can't get into my GP for love nor money. We've also focused on one particular case, uh, a guy called Nick Stokes, who ironically used to be the chair of an NHS trust himself. Mm. His wife, Joy, uh, became ill last year and had very, very bad pain in her leg and hip. It was the usual story, you know, fill in the e-consult form, ring up the GP at 8 a.m., not get seen. The receptionist, uh, who's now become the new doctor, Mike, you'll be interested to know that oh, yes. you know, the receptionist is, is, is God, uh, said it wasn't an emergency. Anyway, to cut a very long story short, um, uh, Joy... Um, was finally seen by a GP who was shocked by her appearance and her husband Nick said well you should have seen her before shouldn't you finally went and had a scan and uh, had really terminal cancer by that point so Joy uh, died about three weeks ago and I've really been campaigning based on that really mm. really shocking story and the oncology department said if she had come in earlier she'd be alive today Mike. It's awful isn't it it doesn't bear thinking about it. and if you're um, her husband or any member of her family, you must be thinking, what on earth has gone wrong with this country? Because, you know, here we have Dua Lipa standing up at the Brit Awards telling everyone to, you know, give more money to the nurses and to, you know, just clap for the heroes of the NHS. And there's an awful lot of the NHS, which is great, but there's an awful lot of it that isn't great. And the thing I found amazing is that I can't discover who's in charge of GPs in this country. There doesn't seem to be anyone. No, it's quite hard to get to the bottom of. We know they've been given an instruction to move towards telemedicine. I mean, I don't even think telemedicine should be a thing. No. Uh, that means digital triage. That means, you you know, if you can get through, which is, you know, congratulations if you can actually get through to the surgery. 
Um, and then somebody then who picks up the phone will decide if you have the privilege of speaking to a doctor who on some good surgeries, they'll ring you back that same day. I had an email from a reader this morning saying they've been told the doctor will ring them back in nine days time. You know, will they still be alive? Who knows? Right. And uh, they won't specify a time. And most of us work, Mike, don't we? So well, that's we can't. It. And I mean, you know, I, I put out I put out a tweet above one of our interviews a couple of weeks ago, just saying the doctor won't see you now, because that's kind of where we are, isn't it? Because this idea of of the e-consult system, uh, which clearly doesn't seem to work terribly well, and certainly no. doesn't work for anyone who's not particularly computer savvy. You know, some of the elderly patients that need the doctor yeah. more than anyone, they don't know how yeah. to do that, do they? Well, I've had, uh, I mean, actually, they're sort of black comedy, really. Uh, an elderly lady wrote to me and she said that she had some moles on her back right. and the receptionist said to send a photograph of the moles on her back. And the lady said, I live on my own. I right. can't take a photograph. And she said, take a selfie in the mirror. This is to an 84-year-old yeah. lady. But I think that the broader concern for me is not only are lots of GP surgeries not back to normal yet, the plan is for them to never get back to normal. Mm. We've had Matt Hancock saying, this is great. We're all going to be digital. Uh, there's no need for anyone to see their GPs. Anyone who, Obviously, anyone who does need to see the GP will be allowed to. But what many doctors who've written to me have said is... As you'll know, Mike, when you go in for an appointment, it's not necessarily the first thing you say that's wrong with you. Sometimes it's going to be the third thing right. that, that gives them the idea. So how are these? How is this triage system supposed to, you know, tell people what's you know, what's seriously wrong with them? And I think it's just dreadful. I don't think the people in this country of this country voted to not have access to mm. their GPs. Mm. It's not happening in other countries. Um, I just think it's a total scandal. Yes, I mean, I spoke to a GP who said, you know, some doctors are nervous of going into the GP surgery because they're frightened of getting COVID. And I'm like, well, maybe they're in the wrong job. I mean, if you're a doctor and you're frightened of getting a disease for which you can be vaccinated against, then really maybe you should rethink what you're doing. And also because a, a, a listener actually sent me this, I think it originally was published in The Telegraph, but it's Ivy Grove Surgery's letter to its um, patients. I don't know if you saw that, but it includes um, a patient page in which they basically say um, that they have a, a sort of a contract of agreement with their patients, which makes it a two-way process. So they're basically asking patients not to bother them with anything that might be a bit trivial um, and instead to wait until they're really ill before they bother to get in touch. And you're kind of going, what sort of madness is this? It's a 16-page letter that they sent to every single patient of theirs to basically say, back off, stop bothering us, leave us alone. Um, we're having trouble with the phone system. There's extraordinary um, arrogance, yeah. I find, some of these GPs. And you think, sorry, you're a doctor. Mm. Uh, there was one email from a, from a GP which basically said, we're highly skilled professionals. You wouldn't be expecting to see a lawyer on the same day. And you think, you're not <laughs> a lawyer, you're a bloody doctor. Yeah. Also, <laughs> if you pay the lawyers enough, they'll come straight round. Don't worry about that. Yeah, ex exactly. And that's the other thing, Mike, is a lot, a lot of... Um, Telegraph readers are saying to me they're dipping into their savings to go private. And mm. lo and behold, if you can suddenly, you know, conjure up 250 quid, you're straight in. Yes. So that doesn't suggest those doctors are are at risk. And the other thing about this thing about GPs saying, oh, it's not safe, it's not safe. Um, 
I had a brilliant email from one pharmacist and he said he's next to the GP surgery and they were sending patients into him to take blood and to do blood pressure because they said it wasn't COVID safe for them to have it here. And he said, I'm a pharmacist. Am I a lowly person who isn't, you know, isn't at any risk? Mm. He said, we've kept going throughout. So you've got physios working, you've got dentists working, you've got pharmacists working, you've got district nurses working, and they can't get in touch with GPs for love nor money. No. So it's uh, what is happening? I mean, as you said at the top, it's true that lots of GPs are doing their best. I've had emails from GPs saying they're trying to persuade their practice colleagues to you know see more people mm. face to face but the the government impetus seems to be let's keep it digital this is what we want we don't want people going in but people are desperate to go in and people are dying mike yeah. or or discovering they've got terminal cancer the um, macmillan cancer charity says that there are 50,000 people in the uk who are wandering around with undiagnosed cancers because they haven't been, you know, they haven't been seen. Now that could soon, very soon, the number of cases that have been caused by deaths that have been caused by lockdown, not by COVID, I think will outstrip the number of COVID. Oh, deaths. I think absolutely no, there is absolutely no doubt about that. But also you point out that some of these doctors who are too frightened to see anybody uh, for the purposes of consultation are not too frightened uh, to see them if they're getting 12 quid per head every time they put a jab in their arm. And so, well, you know... I the, heard, sorry, I heard today, because I said that I thought they were getting 12 quid per vaccination. And somebody said today that it's much, much higher than that. Mm. So, um, I mean... One listener said to me, Planet Normal listener said to me that um, the GP said he couldn't see her. And the next day she was ahead of him in the supermarket checkout. And he <laughs> said, oh, you're not too frightened to come to the supermarket then. Yeah. So I think there's mounting frustration and despair. Uh, people have been very, very patient and they're, you know, spending hours on the phone trying mm. to get through and it's not acceptable. Yeah. And also, I mean, my kids are not very young anymore. So but you remember a time when you've got young children and you're constantly in and out of the GPs because one of them's yeah. got something. You know, it must be a yeah. nightmare if you've got young children right now, because, you know, it's tough enough, as you say, taking time off work to make sure you can get a, 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 an appointment. But if you can't even get one. You know, you're going to be sitting there wondering what on earth to do. But the other thing is, is that, you know, I'm told that basically GPs are paid per head of their surgery numbers, right? So they yeah. don't actually get paid for doing anything in particular. So if they do nothing, they simply collect the money because of the number of people they've got registered. Yes, that's right. And also what's happening, it, they have been being paid throughout. All the people who need to earn a living, of course, they've actually had to stay open. Yeah. But what, we, what, what we're seeing is people in despair are going to A&E and the doctors and the hospitals are absolutely spitting at the GPs mm. because they're saying you're not doing, you know, you're not doing your damn job. And all the people are, of course, turning up at casualty. Well, well, well why wouldn't you? As yes. you said, if you've, if you've got a sick baby, you can't just, you know, wait, wait on a phone mm. to maybe get to talk to the GP that afternoon. So there are more and more barriers to actually what most of us understand by medicine, which is, you know, a healing touch, people looking you in the eye, all the all the signs that a doctor can tell if you're not, you know, how's your skin yeah. colour? You know, um, how are you walking? Yeah. All, all, all those things. And I, and I, I just think it's, it, it, as I said, it's a move towards something that seems to be from the highest levels. But what we've seen this last week is that the Royal College of um, GPs um, has, you know, the, one of the people there has spoken out and said there are going to be unintended consequences 
of not allowing patients to see GPs. That's mm. a polite way of saying a lot of people are dying or discovering they've got terminal cancer or heart problems because they haven't been able to see the doctor. So I think it'll be interesting to see whether the, the official GP body will start pushing back now yes. against what seems to be a government policy. Well, they really should, because it's also been suggested to me by some doctors that there's a sort of recruitment crisis in the world of GPs, because many of them have been able to take early retirement. Many of them haven't liked the way that the, the GP's business has been going in terms of having to run a sort of business which they didn't really buy into in the first place. So, I mean, that may well be the case. But if that is the case, then why uh, is there not a recruitment drive going on? Well, there, there certainly does seem to be a shortage. I think there are at least a thousand down. I mm. think we were promised 5,000 more GPs. They haven't turned up. One of the big problems, I think, is that, that they can pick and choose their working hours. You have practices where many of the GPs are only working three days a week. Right. Nice work if you can get yeah. it. But so I think I think you know when we were, when we were kids, you'd have a family doctor, wouldn't you, who you'd go and see. And they used to come and see us sometimes. Come and see, yeah. I mean, you know, it, pay house calls. Yeah. And, and be on night duty under the Tony Blair government. The, the GPs were apparently given a settlement so generous that their union representatives simply couldn't believe that the government had been so stupid as mm. to give them such a generous thing. They didn't have to do out of hours. They didn't have to do house calls. So now we've got a case where you're very unlikely to go to the surgery and ever see the same doctor. Right. Uh, and the problem with that, of course, is that so I had. Um, an email this morning from a reader who said that her husband's very sadly finally been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and she said he hadn't seen uh, the same GP or even talked to the same GP over the last mm. few months so no one's doing any joined up um, you know any joined up right. um, diagnosis basically no exactly right and even if you do i mean i've, I've been very fortunate um with my health i've only i think been to the, my, my local doctor in london twice maybe in 10 years um and neither for anything particularly uh, you know terrible um and it's just a massive operation now they've got something like 10 doctors they've got a huge car park they've got a waiting room that's got about 50 chairs in it and i mean you wouldn't even expect to see the same person twice i don't even think the receptionist was the same um when i went there and it's and it's so huge that it's a kind of too cumbersome really to be a family doctor i think also that's that that's right i mean there are, are some gps have been really good they've put up marquees in the staff mm. car park they've continued to see people throughout they show that it's that it's possible to be done i suppose what really gets to me is throughout the pandemic we've had you know supermarket workers delivery people retail people all you know running a small risk we all think it you and i think it's a small risk mike but nevertheless running a small risk and you've got these very entitled middle class gps thinking oh no that's not for us and mm. you think sorry why are you so special why are you so entitled um your, your duty is to see sick people and there are lots of uh veteran gps who have said to me they're disgusted with their colleagues mm. because they they worked through that there was a pandemic in 68 69 there's been SARS there's been major flu epidemics they put the ill people they put the infected people in one hospital and then they just got on with the job so I think we're seeing this lot dragging their heels they should be open now I mean there's like how many deaths COVID deaths are there it's far more urgent to see 
people with other diseases now much much more urgent absolutely Um, right and also there's far more areas of britain now with zero covid than there are areas with any infections whatsoever so there's not even any justification for them being frightened how about this right i've got this from Stephen, who's uh, tweeted us mike i've been waiting to speak to my gp for three days finally booked an appointment he complained the line was bad i suggested he reopens the surgery for face-to-face appointments and he hung up (laughs) i mean it's amazing one one lady one lady said to me that um she drunk that she drung in at her appointed hour and the nurse said the the receptionist said oh the doctor's ill he's not even here but this has been recorded as a, as a, as a, as a good call that you know this has been marked down as a successful call and she said but well, I haven't been allowed to speak to the doctor so yeah so there's a lot there's a lot of madness going on I think frustration is building we didn't vote for this did we Mike we certainly we did vote- not. We did not vote for this. If the government had put on it as one of its manifesto promises, we're going to stop you seeing your GP uh, uh, unless it's under unusual circumstances. Mm. How many people would have voted for that? Well, exactly. And I've got a I've got a, um, a tweet here from somebody called Ben Molyneux, who calls himself the Sessional GP Committee Chair at the BMA, Portfolio GP. He's he's tweeted out today, right? Just today. GPs deserve a decent pay rise from this government after giving their all for COVID this year. Not another insulting below inflation pay award. Write to your MP and tell them the doctor deserves better. I don't <laughs> think so, Ben. <laughs> I don't, uh, no, abs- no. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's beyond belief. Isn't it the case, Mike, that we've seen really uh, great and heroic work from many, many doctors and nurses and and auxiliary staff in the front line? Mm. And then we've seen people basically, you know, not getting off their asses. And uh, a lot of GPs fall, I'm afraid, into that latter category. The idea that they need a pay rise. We need money back. We need a refund for the services they haven't been providing. And in fact, so many, as I said, so many Planet Normal listeners have been saying they've been dipping into savings to go private most people can't afford to go private so it's become a two-tier system we're always told mike in this country that if we move to a sensible system like they have in australia or germany or france which is part insurance part state oh no that would be you know sacrilege for our nhs no that might actually mean that people get a proper service so we can't have a grown-up conversation about the nhs in this country because it's a religion it's not a health service and if you say anything against it then you're evil Mm. but actually there are parts of it that don't work very well and we can see that many gp surgeries are allowing patients to die yeah they won't see them and that's not a good enough service and i think we have to have a you know rational discussion which says that we have some excellent staff brilliant doctors and nurses but the management of the health service is absolutely bloody lamentable mm. and it's it um it's a, a monolithic thing it's not responsive as you said who's given this instruction that we stay with telemedicine who's who's done that mm. you know yeah and it makes- are they going it makes Sorry. absolutely no sense. And talking, let's 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 leave leave that just for one second to the side because talking of things that don't work very well, uh, you've also referred to the Labour Party this morning in your column. Um, <laughs> they despise Northerners. They just, I mean, I think poor old Keir Starmer. He loves North Londoners, but he's not very good with anybody <laughs> north of Edgware, is he? No, exactly. Anyone north, anyone north of Camden is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't interesting with Hartlepool. I, I thought that for two weeks prior to the elections last Thursday, we basically had. The BBC, all the other news channels um, banging on about Boris's wallpaper. Was this the end of Boris? It was an absolute scandal. Mm. 
Did it have any impact on the elections? On the contrary, nobody gives a stuff, Mike, do they, about the wallpaper? No. And, uh, and it, it, you know, no apology from the BBC for sort of spending two weeks on stuff that people find completely trivial. Yeah, I think that, um, look at the people in Hartlepool. I think Labour loves a victim. That's all they really mm. care about, you know. You know, it's good that people care about, pe you know, people who are struggling, but this obsession with victimhood and I thought the people up north, um, they don't want to be seen as charity cases. No. You know, they want a good life. They want a house. They want lovely holidays. They want to go out for a few drinks. You know, people want to enjoy themselves. And the Labour message, I mean, you know, Starmer looks just like he's sat on a bloody pincushion, don't you think? <laughs> oh, he's so a... dull. He's un so dull. Un unremittingly dull. It's almost like <laughs> it's worse than dull because he's sort of he's sort of smothering you with his dullness. Yes, and now look at him now today. You know, it's all oh, let's tweet about you know Israel. Isn't Israel horrible? But you're thinking that people have got stuff in this country that they're more worried yeah. about than Israel. Right. You know, they're more interested in the NatWest Bank than they are in the West in the West Bank. So <laughs> I think that they're, they're international socialists. Really, is what they are, yeah. and they increasingly have nothing to say to normal working people. And I agree with you. I mean, do you think the Labour Party is relevant? And do no. you think it can survive? I think, it's, I I think it's actually finished. I can't see them ever getting back into government. I don't see the point of them at all. And the only thing they can now do, really, is to continually appoint new mayors for places like, you know, I don't know, maybe yeah. the next mayor should be Luton and Dunstable. And they can get a Labour mayor in there and they can mess about with the police commission. And I mean, but as far as national policies go, they haven't got any. No. No, and I think that um, if you look at the majorities, incredibly slim. I mean, someone like Ed, Ed Miliband is in Doncaster North. I think he's got about 2,300 majority. Yvette Cooper um, is over in Normanton and Castleford. You know, tiny, tiny majorities. Yeah. I mean, if Boris called a snap election, how many of them would fall like Skittles? I yes. Mean, well, they're bound to lose Batley, I think, aren't they? I don't know if they'll lose Batley because there's a... there's. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big um, Muslim town, and there's a, you know, that the, there's a big, you know, kind of cosy deal. I think with the Labour Party, I think that might be close, but there are certainly other constituencies. But I think just make, coming back to our GP theme, Mike, if we had a proper opposition in this country, they'd have been raising mm. stuff like I can't see people can't see a doctor, um, which is of general interest. As we know, you get thousands and thousands yeah. of reactions to it but instead of the opposition raising it you and i have to raise mm. it we are we are well, the i think that's right we are basically the opposition and i get into we terrible are. trouble with the listeners to talk radio go why are you attacking boris i'm like because nobody else is doing it somebody has yeah. to do it well somebody and i you know i voted for boris and i i I'm, it's not i see myself attacking him but any government any government has to be kept honest yeah by good opposition but you've got starmer who basically stood there saying yes I agree with you. I just want more of that, you know, lockdown harder, faster, whatever. Yeah. Why isn't Labour? Labour don't attack the NHS, so it won't stand up for constituents who are dying because they can't see their doctor. I mean, you know, it's um. Anyway, no. catch, catch twenty two. It catch is absolutely. Well, it's a great to talk to you, Alison. Thank you. We must do this more often. Alison Pearson, very much of a sensible individual. Daily Telegraph columnist, author, presents for the Planet Normal podcast as well. Go and have a listen to that. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.